Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a voice actor, a vocal coach, and a fellow podcaster. Nick Redman, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I feel very privileged. <laughs> it's great to have you. I'm so glad that you could make it in. I've known of you for um, several years in the narrator community. I know that um, a lot of the coaching that you do has to do with accents, and we'll get into all of that, but I'm um, so mm-hmm. glad that you could make it in. Yeah, thanks. I feel very, very important on the VIP list getting in through <laughs> you, the door. You are very important <laughs> from all the people I've seen commenting about the, uh, the, the work that <laughs> they've done with kind. you. So um, so welcome to the Speakeasy. This being a Speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, listen, I'm going to really disappoint you, I think, here. But um, I've got what we call in the UK a builder's brew. <laughs> a what? A What's cup of tea. A builder's, Builder, bu- builder's brew. So like um, I have not heard that expression. This well, here's a wee bit of dialect for you then. So this is like <laughs> bog, bog standard, run of the mill. I suppose you guys would know it as English breakfast tea. Oh, okay. But right. um, uh, like a very like Yorkshire tea uh, tea bags, my, which my, are my wife the is only. A, my wife is a huge fan of Yorkshire. Yes, well. That's what we call like what we call like a bog standard cup of tea is as a slang is a builder's brew. Bog standard is that what you said? Yeah, I've got all the dialects coming. Out I, I need. I'm going to need subtitles here. <laughs> so bog standard means like plain run of the mill. Ah, uh, it's not like a fancy tea. Okay. It's a bog standard right. basic tea. Okay. It's a builder's brew. Builder's brew. All right. I have not yeah. heard that. Um, that is not unusual at all. I I probably can't even count on, uh, I would probably take two hands to count the number of guests in the speakeasy who have had one type of tea or another. Some people, it's water because they're working and they're going to mm-hmm. be narrating later in the evening. Got that there you too. Go. Got the water Anyone who listens to my podcast will recognize this sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, I virtually always have a glass of water in the booth with me. Um, I don't drink as much as many people, but I almost always have it because sometimes you just need it. Yeah, um, so yeah, non-alcoholic drinks are always welcome here in the audiobook speakeasy. There are many very good reasons to to not be drinking. I, well, however, I'm trying to do that classic post Christmas don't drink uh, in the week kind of. Yeah. I'm not dry January, but I am trying to abstain in the week. Yeah, got it. <laughs> anyway, right. what's in your cup? So uh, I, on the other hand, am am drinking now. People may know that you sound like you're not from around here, and the fact is mm-hmm. that you are quite a ways away. So although it it may be happy hour in your land, it's still morning here, and so I'm having a classic <laughs> breakfast drink, a mimosa. This is a oh, um, nice, yeah, That's very this, classy, yeah, uh, breakfast brunch. I should say both. Um, and this one is a little bit different. So we got a uh, we got a fruit basket from my sister in law for Christmas, and it had some oranges in it, two different kinds. I didn't realize until today that some of them were blood oranges. So this mm. is a combination blood orange. I'm not sure what the other variety was. It's sort of tangerine. But I don't think they were tangerine. It's Seville season, isn't it? It's Seville orange oh, season. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's Seville. Maybe that, yeah. I don't know. So anyway. We know that because, yeah. 
Two different usually make marmalade at this time of year. Sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> marmalade. Yeah, that's 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 a very yeah. UK kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um. So so yeah, two different kinds of oranges and some uh, relatively inexpensive prosecco. And uh, this this has kind of a little bit of a French twist. Tiny bit of Chambord down in the bottom before I oh, poured hello. the. Uh, yeah, isn't that good stuff? Yeah. yeah, we used to call that a tequila sunrise. In yeah, it wasn't yeah. a tequila sunrise, but that's what we used to call it. No, but I actually I've done that before. I've substituted Chambord for grenadine because commercial grenadine you can you can get high end grenadine now pretty regularly or pretty easily, but um, commercial grenadine is nothing but sugar syrup with artificial flavor. So I have oh. um, substituted Chambord for. Uh, basic grenadine many times and I think it's a it's a great addition so um so yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm having a um having a blood orange and something else French twist mimosa <laughs> la mimosa <laughs> yeah there you go there you go all right well thanks for coming in cheers cheers so so Nick as I mentioned you are not from around here or at least you are not currently around here uh where are you from originally <laughs> I'm originally from Northern Ireland. Uh, for anyone out there who's not familiar with the island of Ireland, um, we have Northern Ireland. There are politically two Irelands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I won't go into it so much. I definitely yeah, need to Yeah, we don't want to get anybody fighting that. while they're listening <laughs> to yeah. the audio. Don't have a Guinness. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm from Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom and Great Britain. Um, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's where I'm from originally. So my accent, Northern Irish accent, is slightly different to what most people expect from an Irish accent, particularly if you're based in the States, because a lot of the time in America, mm. they're more used to this kind of sound. <laughs> I know that there is a, uh, there's a video on YouTube that I watched at one point with somebody um, demonstrating the accents from all the different places in Ireland. And it was, I, I don't know how accurate he was, but I'm sure that it was accurate enough to give a feel for all the different ones. And it was yeah. really kind of amazing. And then I thought, well, you know, it's true in the States as well. It, you know, a fairly, we're a bigger place, but no matter where you are, village to village, as things evolved, you're going to have different sounds. So I know that there mm. are very different sounds within Ireland. Yeah, we get, considering how teeny weeny we are, um, accent wise is it's kind of remarkable there's mm. just you can go you know three or four miles up the road mm. and somebody will know that you're not from that street like right. it's mad completely right. mad I've, I've heard that about parts of England as well um, mm. part, parts of London in fact that you know somebody will know if you're from you know a few blocks over instead of from where you are yeah, these days everything's not homogenized, but there are everything kind of bleeds in, and there's so much different influence in in London. So, but there's definitely very much a kind of South London, North London, East mm. End, West London um, differences for sure, and lots of teeny weeny ones in between. And there's other acts like there's an accent that's um, one accent called. Uh, multicultural London English or modern London English, MLE, that's developed in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and it's sort of the new Cockney in the sense that uh, Cockney is kind of old school East End, which doesn't exist as much anymore or doesn't happen anymore because all the East End Cockneys had to leave the East End because it got too expensive. So they all went out to Essex and then Essex, hap Ex Essex accents happened. And then in the <laughs> south of London and this area is um, all that 
the beautiful multicultural kind of crazy cacophony of sound from all over the world and uh, all of the kids growing up with that have sort of created their own it's called a sociolect so um, wow, an accent that has was evolved because they wanted a way to communicate with each other you know somebody's parents were from Ghana and somebody's parents were from Barbados and somebody's parents were from Jamaica you right. know when they all all of those influences kind of came together into this accent it's fascinating yeah that is fascinating um, so you're from Northern Ireland. Where are you now? Are you still in Northern Ireland? No, I'm in Cumbria, which is a quite large county in the north of England. It's the county that attaches to um, Scotland. So we oh, okay. are basically as close as you can get, as well as Northumbria, but we're kind of as north as you can get before Scotland happens. So I'm about 15 minutes from Scotland. Wow. Do you get, do you get in yeah. there very often? Um, well, during COVID times, there was a moment when you could eat out in Scotland before England, and uh. I did cross over <laughs> to go to have a pizza. <laughs> I was crossing the border for a pizza. Um, but I live on a really, really um, historically significant area, so that part of England is really quite skinny, and because it was the dividing point between Scotland and England. Way back in the day, this dude called Hadrian, Emperor Hadrian, oh, yeah. built a big built a big wall. Hadrian's wall, uh, yeah. Hadrian's wall, yeah. yeah. So we live in on about a mile from Hadrian's wall. So it's a big walking area. It's just north of the Lake District, and there's lots. It's just really beautiful. That's cool. My wife would really like to go to the Lake District, and I'd love to see Hadrian's Wall after reading about it because I, I I saw a reference to it years ago. I don't remember when. I thought, what the hell are they talking about? So I looked it up, and I thought, this is you know just fascinating history. It so. really is. We yeah, we have a guest house here, so you can hire if you have thirteen of your closest friends, <laughs> you can come and stay at our house. Come and stay at mine, Rich, if you want I'll, to come visit. I'll remember. Or come that. to a retreat. I do retreats here. Do voice training oh, retreats okay. here. So right. you better co you gotta get your wife come over. Cool. So you so you moved from Ireland down to uh, down to England, and then what did you do there? Was that uh, to go to school? Was that afterwards? Yeah. So I left Ireland originally to go to Manchester to study. And I did a performing arts degree. And then I went from Manchester, which is in the north of England, south to London to go to drama school to study musical theatre. Oh. And then I sort of tiptoed around the West End for a, for a bit yeah. and then fell into voiceover work and then got a bit obsessed with the voice because I felt so liberated that it was no longer about what I looked like. You know, every audition in the West End is like, you sound great, but you're a bit too big for this, sweetheart. Uh, Lose a couple of stone. I'm yeah. not even really that big. I certainly wasn't big back then. Too tall, you know, too small. Right. Boobs too big, bum too yeah. big, whatever. Yeah. It's really, really annoying. So then, um, this was 20 years ago, you know, so it's slightly different now, thank goodness. Um, then anyway, I went back to the drama school I'd gone to to do musical theatre to do an MA in uh, voice studies. So to train to be a voice practitioner. So uh, three degrees one BA degree and two MS. I finally found my calling. That's great. That's <laughs> Which great. Which was sort of voice voice training. All right. So so you you primarily got into voiceover because theater in person acting. I don't know if you did any film, but um, theater acting was becoming challenging in some ways. Yeah. And then you found that you loved it. What what did you start yeah. out with in voiceover? It was my first ever job. Was the person who'd caught my first demo was also kind of an agent or like listed mm. people. And they mm. called me and they said they had a client who had an Irish person and they weren't very good and they needed another one really quickly and could have hot-footed to uh, a studio in West London. I was like, 
they were like, it's £300 for an hour. I was like, thumb on the bus, I'll see you there. <laughs> it's like, cause when you're in the West End, like doing fringe and stuff, it's like £300 a month. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. So I got there and I arrived and it was um, like a, just a classic corporate. It was sort of narration for uh, those TV screens. I don't know if you have them in the States. TV screens that are in like information for in, when you're sitting in the doctor's surgery. Oh, sure. So you'll be sitting yeah. waiting to see the doctor and be like, have you had your flu job or whatever it is? Yeah. So it was that sort of in, information, corporate information. I went yeah. in and I did it in like two takes and I was like, what? This yes. is amazing. I want to do more of this. Isn't it was so great? good. And it came out and the guy was like, oh, you're a natural. I was like, that was my first job. And he was like, what? <laughs> no, that's fantastic. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. Don't you love those voiceover jobs where you go in and you're like a one-take wonder and they make up for the jobs where you go in and you spend hours because they're just oh, yeah. not getting what they want. I've I've had both. And uh, oh, you yeah, love one, tough. you hate the other. <laughs> they even out, don't they? I had one the other day. It yeah. took about 25 minutes to get everyone connected around the world. Oof. This was just for like an on-hold system as well. It seemed a bit overkill. Like 25 minutes to get all the tech to work. And I did mine in like one tick because <laughs> it was just IVR. And then the the uh, everyone was like, yeah, that was, that was easy. I was like, yeah, well, well that's the, the text usually, usually the bit that's the problem. Like yeah. I just say the word, <laughs> say the word. <laughs> We're like, well, thanks. That's cool. Done. So, so when was this that you started in uh, in voiceover work? That would have been when did I finish? About two thousand and eight, probably. So fifteen or so years ago, something yeah. like that. Holy moly! Yeah, about then. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to make you feel old. Um. Oh, it was back in the day. <laughs> Um, no, that's great. And so, uh, so it was mostly corporate narration and commercial work, yeah, that kind of thing. Bit of commercial stuff. I, I used, I'm quite a like, okay, how can I make this work? Like if I get my teeth into something I'm like this is going to happen. So I got like straight on the internet. I was like, what's going on? What's happening? And it was around the time when sort of home studios and stuff were kind of bubbling. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I found a networking group that was like the West London voiceover made up. And I was like, I live in South London, but I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> so I kind of snuck in and yeah. uh, heard loads of people talking about it. Uh, there's only like five or six of them. And I was like, hi, yeah, yeah, of course I live in West London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I heard that they all had their own studios and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, I need to make this happen. Yeah. And at the time, I'd just come out of a nine-month touring contract and I'd had a wee bit of money saved. So I bought a microphone. I was also living at home with my parents because I'd just come off tour, really, um, right. apart from staying with a mate in West inside London when I was up and down. So I set up a wee home studio in a teeny tiny attic room in my mom and dad's house and I just got in the blower and I was like I did a google I was like what sort of work is there how can I do this and I just called people and I was like hello I'm Northern Irish and I've got a home studio do you need me and a lot of people were like y yes actually that sounds quite useful that's great so that's so then it was like I IVR stuff and a bit of commercial stuff for the south and the north of Ireland because I work in southern Irish accents as well um and yeah it was good that was it really Cool. So at the, at the time I was doing stand up, so I was doing like it worked really well because I was doing like stand up in the evening and then voiceovers in the day. So stand up. So you must be good at improv then. Uh, I mean, there was a time when I probably was good at improv. Well, um, <laughs> it just seems to me that I know that stand up is very difficult. I I took an improv class once, and there were there was one person, maybe two, who were doing stand up who were in that class. And they said that it really helped because um, you have to think on your toes, you know, if you get any hecklers, anything like that, anything oh, comes gotcha. up and kind of throws you off. Um, uh, and and they just said that it was really helpful. I once upon a time, I used to think, oh, yeah, stand up. That'd be great. 
And the more I learned about it, the more I thought, I don't think I could do that. That is, stand up <laughs> is really hard. Yeah. So. I did. I used to love hecklers. Like, I used to mm. will them. Like, I used to love them, heckle. Because <laughs> I was quite quick at that. And I think there was quite it, a, like, I had like a kind of cheeky kind of Irish blarney kind of crack going on. So, yeah. like, I could be quite, like, sharp with people. And it always came across as kind of charming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't like one of those hecklers just, like, who was, like, really mean. But if someone tried right. to, like, have a piece of me, they certainly knew about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I did a bit of improv, but I would not go as far as to, you know, demean the skills that it takes to be really hot at improv by saying I was any good at it. I could oh. improv in a, a heckle situation, but I didn't do much actual kind of comedy improv. Yeah, no, I understand. But um, but yeah, it sounds like it is something that you you were um, maybe just naturally really good at if you can if you can do that in a in a stand up routine. Um, I loved improv. I have learned since then how how helpful it is for just acting in general. Mm. So. Certainly being open to like response and listening. It's, exactly. it's brilliant. And just being kind of open to go with wherever the energy is going is really useful. Yeah. Talk about a lesson in listening. Um, oh, my God. Really yeah. got to follow what's going on. <laughs> yes. And. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so how did you get involved with the audiobook narrator community? Well, so you have not done all that much audiobook narration, have you? No, I mean, any of you audiobook narrators listening, you have my entire respect. <laughs> for. I have the brain, I have like the attention span of a four-year-old child. <laughs> for the most part, you know, I could really only do things in like 20-minute chunks. And I'm like, oh, look, a tree. Let's go yeah. see that. Um, I'm dyspraxic, you see. So my brain goes all over the place all of the time. Um, so, and I had the one of the first times I worked with an audiobook narrator was when it was a comedian and friend who had written a novel and wanted to do their own audiobook. They later realized it was much better to just get a professional to do it. So um, many, so many with... people feel that way. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I could do this. Yeah. He was like, I can't be arsed. I was like, I'm not surprised. It is a lot. <laughs> he got to the point like where it was really good. But, you know, we played around and stuff. And then he said, I've got a little novella that is about Irish nuns. Um, will you narrate it? And I was like, yeah, OK, fine, because you're a friend and whatever. Anyway, God save us. Luckily, I was doing a <laughs> tiny bit of the prep and I'd said to him that I didn't want to do a full length book. And he said he was going to write it as a full length book. And if I didn't want to do the novella, I shouldn't. Because if I didn't want to do the full length book, I shouldn't do the uh, short one. Right. I was like, yes, this is my height. Yeah. Because, oh my God, the prep. Like, I love the idea of the creativity and the characters and the accents. And I definitely have a skill set that would lend itself to that. But... I just don't have the attention span. Can't do it. So I, 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 I weaseled my way into the audiobook community as a coach, I suppose. Not coaching how to do audiobooks. I mean, I can help people with story and delivery and all that because of my work as a text coach at drama school. You know, mm -hmm. and structure and rhetoric and all that kind of stuff. Um, so some of that is common sense and can be applied. But primarily it's as a technique coach and accent, the voice technique coach and accents. So I have a, a Facebook group called the Voice and Accent Hub, which is full of voiceover artists, narrators, podcasters. These days, anybody who speaks on a microphone for a living, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think when I first started that, it was mainly populated by voiceover artists and narrators. And a few people in there came to me for help with accents and then suddenly realized, you know, a lot started talking to their friends about it. And then some people who do audiobooks were like, oh, well, I can only record for like one hour a day and it's not enough before my voice gets tired. So then 
people started coming to me going, can you help me with that? And I was like, yeah, that's literally my main skill is so, to help so, with so it kind of vocal morphed, stamina. And, kind of morphed yeah. then. So, so it wasn't so much that you were doing audiobook work and it wasn't so much that you were seeking out audiobook narrators. It just sort of happened that some came to you and then yeah. word got around and more and more people knew about it. Because that's certainly yeah. where where I heard about you in the audiobook groups um, when people would start talking about accents. So how is it that you specifically got into coaching accents? Because I know that that's a, a mm. uh, I don't know about a big part, but I know that it is certainly a, a substantial part of, of what yeah. you do. Well, when I trained when I went back to drama school for the second time to do my third degree, the MA in voice studies, part of that was training how to be an accent coach. So they teach you about phonetics and how to teach accents to other people, how to break accents down, lots of listening and um, mimicry practice and understanding. And so much of it's about voice technique as well. So you're learning about the articulators and the breath and, and how the voice works. And when I did that course, I wanted my entire kind of impetus for doing that course was I want to be an accent coach who works on like TV I want to do TV mm. and film and theater and work with actors and like be in the dark with my iPad like you know sneaking up to them when they call cut and like whispering there I wanted to be on set I wanted to be on set so I basically wanted to be an accent coach and you they that's one of the things that they introduce on that course is how to to be an accent coach or the skills at least to get started uh, and then I did a lot of training with um a, a group called Knight Thompson Speechwork, which is another great uh, speech and accent training um, methodology based primarily in the US, although they do a lot more over here. But when I left that course, I ended up having a baby. Ah, um, that, so that's then I was like, timeline. That's, yeah, that's not going to allow me to go off to the Bahamas on, on a set with Brad Pitt for six months, is right. it? So, and I ended up in drama schools and taught accents in drama schools and voice and text as well. So lots of Shakespeare and really heady kind of Chaucer and, you know, all that kind of stuff um, to actors, text analysis and performance and voice. Um, and then I started doing one-to-one. -one. So it was kind of like, you know, oh, I've got a self-tape. Can you help me with this accent? That kind of stuff. And then it just kind of, bled, yeah, sort of merged into the voiceover world as well. And what I, what I found, not so much with accents, but the reason I started peddling my wares to voiceover was because... I, what I saw in the voiceover community, this was a good couple of years ago now, was uh, loads of voiceover coaches teaching how to be a voiceover, mm -hmm. but no one teaching, explicitly teaching voiceovers how to look after their voices and how mm. to use their voices efficiently and in a way that is conducive to a long, successful, consistent um right. Uh, career. So I was like, why is there no one teaching technique? This is mad. It's completely mad to me. So I was like suddenly waving my flag. Everybody, here I am. So Come to was, me, I'll show you some exercises. And accents was just a part of that, really. So an extra. was the, you know, how to take care of your voice stuff, was that also part of your training for that degree? Yeah. So was... that whole degree is how the voice works, how the breath works, how articulation works, vocal health, the science of voice, the anatomy of voice. They give you an introduction. A lot of it, when I did it, was based in the work of Kristen Linklater in terms of the practical uh. stuff, but you also do a lot of uh, Fitzmaurice voice work and um, Barbara Houseman's work and Sis Berry's work, and you, you experience all of the work of lots of practitioners. Um, and, yeah, basically teaches you about the workings of the human voice. So the people on that course... 
Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I feel like you learn so much about it because voice is so holistic. So you learn so much about yourself and your mind and your body and all that kind of thing. A lot of it was like physical anatomy too, because your voice is connected to all that. You know, like if you break your ankle, you'll probably at some point lose your voice because your line will go all out of whack. Mm. You know, a lot of people find that. Um, so yeah, it's basically voice 101. And then what you do with it is up to you. But they do teach you as well. And this is what's really one of my sort of key values as a coach is that they teach you how to teach. So they teach you what's called pedagogy, which is the study of te- the, like the process of how to teach how to be a teacher, how to be a coach, how to connect with people, how to get the most out of people. And I remember at the time being frustrated that I'd, there are some brilliant voiceover coaches out there, absolutely brilliant ones, but I had done a couple of courses and and the people on it were expert at performance and amazing voiceovers, but they didn't know how to teach it to people and they were just demonstrating stuff. And if you're in that space and you're not quite getting it, that's actually really kind of isolating and alienating and, and very bad for your confidence because what coaches like that end up with is a couple of people who can naturally pick it up and then a room full of people going, I don't really know what to do here. Yeah. So, so much of my training and, and my continued study as a coach is about how to help people learn. And that changes, you know, hour to hour, minute to minute, depending who's in the room, particularly with neurodiversities and, you know, all the different things that are much more prevalent and known about now, whether it's dyspraxia or dyslexia or, you know, any of those other neuro neuro. Uh, diverse kind of um, conditions. Yeah. I, uh, a very um, prominent voiceover coach um, who I've worked with and uh, who I've met and talked with uh, outside of the coaching, um, he, he famously has said, um, knowing how to do it and knowing how to teach it are two completely different skill sets. Yeah. You can, you can be, even if you're not really a successful actor, you can be a fantastic acting teacher. Even if mm-hmm. you're a phenomenally successful actor, you might not be able to impart anything to to people. They're very different skill sets, and so going. It sounds like going through the course that you went through to get that degree was fantastic because you got mm. both sides. You got some training in both sides of that, and um, yeah. clearly, if if you're if you've gone on with the coaching, uh, that has served you well. Yeah, I have to say, I really find an area that I just I just love it. I love people. I love connecting with people. I love helping people discover things. And um, yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's it's sort of like I'm sort of 50-50 voice performance and coaching. That's how I keep mm-hmm. it going. Because I think as well, as a coach in the voiceover space, it's important for me still to be working and still to be mm-hmm. understanding the current industry. So I still do voiceover, but I, I, I love the coaching so much. Yeah, I really, I just really, I really enjoy it. Like, and I love making people laugh and having that connection. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, I have a lot yeah. of friends, a lot of friends out there now. <laughs> well, I hope they're my friends. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah. So so you continue to not do that much in audiobook, but I know that a lot of your students are audiobook narrators. Yeah. Is that, do you find that that's primarily for the accent work or is it primarily for the vocal health stuff? Well, what's interesting sometimes, because um, being a vocal health and a technique coach is sometimes a little bit like uh, not to minimize anyone with Tourette's, but it's like, you know, when you see something and you're like, I just need to, I need to say something. We're working in an accent, but can we talk about that tongue tension? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and actually part of accent coaching is understanding how your mouth works 
and how it shapes the sound and where in the vocal tract you're placing the sound and the energy of the voice and all that kind of thing. So actually, it's it's kind of hard to separate them in a way. Right. And if I'm working with someone and they're having problems with a particular sound and I know it's because they've got some tongue root tension and the tongue can't stretch far enough or can't move quick enough or can't mold in a particular way, then we do end up kind of doing technique stuff. And then what I find is they go, oh, that's interesting. Can we have a talk about my warm-up actually? Because I don't know if it's actually good enough. And sometimes I do get tired and sometimes it feels a bit sore and sometimes this. So like one person I was working with recently, we started on accents and then we went like, a little bit around the houses on warm-ups and technique and um, vocal fatigue and alignment and breath. And we came back to accent at the end. So That's that's great. Yeah, it's it like, sounds like you can provide a lot of insight into a lot of things that matter, even if they're not front of mind or even recognized. Well, this is the thing. I think so much of development is having the courage to put yourself in the hands of someone who is an expert in a particular area or on the path to being an expert, who's ever really an expert, but in this yeah. space, <laughs> I can own that term most of the time. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and trusting them to go, to hear what you don't hear or to, to hear what you feel, but you don't know what it is mm -hmm. or to, yeah, to help you feel what it is that you're hearing. Like that's the interesting thing about pedagogy and learning theory is that you know there's it's all been debunked about i'm a i'm a visual learner or i'm a kinesthetic learner whatever it's all kind of been debunked now because we all learn in all of the different ways and i think with accents it's really interesting because people come to you and they go i'm really good at mimicking but i don't know what i'm doing mm. so for me that's hearing them go oh they can hear pretty well but we need to work on the kinesthetic element of their learning so we need to learn help them understand what the changes they're making and how they feel them and why that makes the sound different. And then they can anchor it and become more consistent and all that kind of thing. Or you get someone going, I can keep an accent for a bit, but I always lose it. Or, mm. you know, there's all these different things that happen. Or can you just tweak this? I know it's okay and I've kind of taught myself, but I just need an expert to give me a little shine. <laughs> and it's the same with voice technique because people come to me and they go, I'm just getting really vocally tired and I don't know why. And I say, mm. we'll read something and I see their alignment's out of whack or there's neck and shoulder tension or the breath mm. is too high. And sometimes even me, you know, I still have one to one sessions as a, uh, on my voice. And, you know, the person I go to who I trust with that will say, well, have you noticed your alignment's shit at the moment, actually? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, no, I hadn't. Thank you. <laughs> I'll work on that. So, yeah, it's just trusting somebody who knows a bit more than you yeah. to see or hear or notice something that you haven't yet. And that, I that's don't know another, what question you asked. Sorry, I went well, off no, the that's, tangent there. That's fine. I, that's <laughs> what I like about these conversations is they just kind of, you know, meander. Um, that's I, I think that's really an interesting thing about um, being a good teacher is that it doesn't mean that you always see things about yourself. And it's why therapists can be great therapists, but they still see somebody, they still see their own therapist. And mm. um, athletes who can teach other athletes may be great and they may be able to coach other athletes, but as they strive to get better, they still have their own coach who they go to who can see things in them. So, um, so that's really interesting. It's, yeah, that's what I say, you know, but there were a lot of I love in voiceover, there are like different waves of people. So there's like the old guard who've been doing it for ages who like just kind of have a fag and a whiskey and off the go. And then there's um, the newcomers who are like doing every course and blah, 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 mm -hmm. and like up on the tech and all this kind of stuff. And it's really interesting because 
sometimes I see newcomers focusing on learning how to edit and learning what might to get and learning about, um, you know, all the different genres and learning this. And it's like, yes, but six months in when you've been talking all day for a living, he's still going to have a voice. Like, do you understand how that works? <laughs> and then the people at the other end of the spectrum who are like, well, I've never warmed up in my life. I don't need to bloody warm up. And it's like, that's great. Like, good for you. But what if, what if? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh-huh. what if you just tried it? So, yeah, I love, uh, again, I've forgotten the question. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I just, I also, yeah, I just. Mm. I also thought it was interesting when you when you mentioned the whole thing about um, different ways of learning being debunked. I did not know that until recently. And uh, I was listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast. And they talked about that, the, about a study that was done, I think, fairly recently where, uh, you know, I'm a visual learner, I'm an, I'm an audio learner, different things. And they really found that uh, it makes virtually no difference what somebody, what type of learner somebody thinks they are. I think that it's, it's, that's just a function of people being more aware of how they respond to certain mm-hmm. stimuli, but it doesn't change the fact that they can still take in information in different ways. Um, so I, I thought that that was really interesting. I did not mm. know that, but uh... and I also think it's kind of initially not the student, not the student's job to know what kind of learner they are. It's about the person who you've trusted to take you on that journey to help you out, and that's not me going. Well, I have learned that you are a visual learner, so please look mm. at this and learn this <laughs> you know, vocal tract picture. Right. It's me subtly doing a bit of a Sherlock, kind of scan and and picking up on their cues and the things that seem to excite them and the things that they tell me they remembered to practice that week or the things that they seem a bit confused about or the things that they seem to not be connected to Mm. or the things that I hear helping them and just guiding them and saying, well, have you tried actually listening more to the accent or have you tried watching videos and just looking at the mouth and seeing what's going on with the shapes of the accent or, you know, or have you tried? Yeah, so I sort of feel like it doesn't really, I, I like as a coach understanding learning theory because it helps me connect with somebody and get the results in a more efficient way which saves everyone time saves mm. them money makes everyone happy sure. um i don't really think it it's the student's responsibility until they have to leave and look after themselves and then yeah. you can send them <laughs> off with a, with a care package of uh information and advice yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah that's my take so, on it. so tell me about the podcast when did that start and uh what what brought that on yeah so i have two the voice coach podcast is the one i do which is about voice coaching and that happened because I was having so much fun doing my other podcast with Leah Marks, the Voice Over Social podcast. Oh, and that, that one I'm like, not familiar with. Uh, oh, well, you have a lot of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> so that is sort of like a magazine style show. We have a little intro and then we do, they're all kind of concept based now. So we've been doing it for six years and um, they are based around different themes or ideas. So we did a couple on AI a couple of years ago or uh, recently we just did one on some of the topics of reason we have, like abuse in the industry. We did that um, and what you can do about it. We did one on planning and mindfulness because we have a career planner as well that we just developed, like a physical career planner. Um, uh, or it might just be how to uh, voice for animation or... Um, how to, let's look at a particular accent so everything related to voiceover and it's really good fun and very community driven um, and I was having such a good time with that one that I started my own little one because again I was looking for vo- tro- 
voice training podcasts that were short, to the point, took me through the voice training process, but all I could find was singing ones. I couldn't find mm. any from sp- spoken voice from someone who I felt I could really trust with having the most up-to-date information. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to make one. And also it yeah. was, it's been really useful because I, I basically do 10-ish minutes a week of a different stage of the voice coaching and voice training process, starting with body and alignment, moving through breath, then onto the voice itself and tonal quality and variety and then articulation. But I pepper it as well with sort of episodes that respond to the questions that I get asked all of the time. Mm. (laughs) So things like, what do I do about uh, like mic technique, for example, because it is aimed at people who speak on microphones, whether it's voiceovers or podcasters or whatever, or other responsive ones are things like, you know, um, how do I stay hydrated? What do I do when I lose my voice? Um, how do I warm up like really quickly? Those sorts of things. So what I've been able to do now, particularly in the, in the Voice and Accent Hub, for example, is when people ask the same questions, I can go listen to this episode. Right. Got any questions? <laughs> Come back to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's really useful. And, and I think the reason I like it, and I don't know how you feel about podcasting, but uh, the most exciting thing for me about podcasting is the fact that it's sort of unregulated and anybody can do it and anybody can access as as long as they can list, can find somewhere to listen, you know, if they've got some mm-hmm. kind of device to listen. And for me, the whole thing about voice training when I first went into it was that, and even I experienced this when I first trained in performing arts, was voice, spoken voice training felt like this big theatrical kind of ethereal cheesecloth clad thing that was like you know breathing through your bum and vibrations and like humming and stuff and I felt like what the hell I don't know what this is doing I feel like really out of place this isn't for me I just want to act all this kind of stuff it felt really kind of like inaccessible and a bit middle class if not lower upper class kind of thing drama Mm. school darling um I'm all I all I want to do with voice training is is make sure as many people can have a go at it as possible And that's what I love about the podcast because it's free. It's there. If you want to have a play at warming up for five minutes, try that episode. If you want to take every week and teach yourself and improve your voice a little bit each week, you can do that and it won't cost you anything but time. And I think that's the main thing for me is the accessibility. I just love that. And I love how myself I can be on the microphone and no one's going to be like, sweetheart, do you not think you should sound a bit more intelligent or a bit more sensible or <laughs> a bit more professional? I'm like, feck off. This is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got to this stage in life as me and that is all I can do. It's exhausting yeah. trying to be anybody else. Yeah, this is my, this is so, my format. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I saw that, um, that your podcast is short, um, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Yeah. I I think that for everybody who gets into podcasting, it's a choice that you have to make at the beginning, short form, long form. I decided to go for long form. I I listened to several short form podcasts, um, uh, and Ganguza's VO Boss. Um, now I've yeah, got, that's a great uh, one. now I've got yours. Um, uh, and, um, uh, Jay Rodney Turner has audiobook narration for beginners, which is also kind of a short form. Whereas I decided to go for the long form and it has stretched out to, longer and longer between episodes because it takes more time to get it packaged together. My, (laughs) my thinking about, about podcasting is I think it's great. I've really loved doing this, but I hate the, the post-production. I, I I wish I could just be done with it 
hit a button and everything is done. But instead, I've got to edit it, make sure it sounds right in all the different places where you've got little hiccups and the audio or something like that, put the intro in and, and all that stuff. And I know that there are services that do that, but mine is not a money making venture. And so it's it's hard to actually spend money on something that's not mm. actually bringing money in. <laughs> So, um, but, yeah, but I, I do love it and I, and I love yeah. being able to reach, like you said, that many different people. I think it, it, the most important thing on a podcast journey is, uh, deciding what you want it to be, why you're doing it and what you mm -hmm. want to achieve from it. Um, we, the voiceover social podcast started kind of as an accident, um, and sort of just rolled down a hill gather, gathering moss, uh, <laughs> exciting moss mm. and useful moss as we went on. And it's now become this beautiful show that we re are really, really proud of and actually feels sort of, without sounding cheesy, more like a service. Like we think mm -hmm. we approach it and we get information over in a really informative and concise way. It's not kind of full of... Um, egocentric mm -hmm. banter uh, for 45 minutes before you get to the point like you know it's right. just information that's useful to the industry through our lens mm -hmm. and we talked to lots of experts and Leah who produces it um, works incredibly hard and thankfully likes to edit it herself yeah that's good <laughs> so that's I don't good. have yeah. to do it so I just turn <laughs> up and uh, yeah I do what I'm told um, the other that's one I true. use I have a, a production service who helped me with it so all I have to do is say the words and send it off right but that's no, a that's... choice i make because mm -hmm. it's it is it's a part of my uh marketing strategy you know mm -hmm. and it's an incredibly useful part of my marketing strategy because it gives people a chance to try me out <laughs> yeah in a way that's well, what it's for yeah that's and what that's, it's for excuse me yeah and that's really one of the main reasons uh, probably the main reason that i started this podcast was to give people a chance to um try out like you said um coaches and to um, hear how they speak and what they talk about and what they're interested in and what their approach is to coaching. And, um, and that way, you know, you get to know somebody so that you have something going in, whether or not you want to hire them. So. Yeah, it really helps. I love podcasts for that as well. Finding out about people because mm -hmm. we do make a lot, you need to know what someone's offering because a lot of the time coaching does cost money and good coaching does cost a decent amount of money. And yeah. there's, unfortunately you get to a stage where that's just the way it is you know when you're mm -hmm. giving such bespoke coaching for very specific niche things um but i'm really really passionate about people being able to understand who i am and have a bit of a listen and get people now work with me because they like the sound of what i have to offer most of the time mm -hmm. and i think most of the time they think i sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> Yeah, well, no, um, it, it certainly sounds like you do. Um, so, so what is it that you offer in coaching uh, in terms of format? I know that you have uh, different courses, packages, stuff like that. What, what are your, yeah. your main avenues? So there's different ways. So you can come and join the Voice and Accent Hub on Facebook for free. And there's lots of tips and tricks and sort of community-based banter and sharing of things in there, which is great. You can also reach me and ask questions in there. That happens a lot. Or you get people popping in going, oh, Nick, how do I say this word in this accent? <laughs> or Nick, I'm really nasal today. What can I do? I've got to record it like four. What can I do? All of this kind of stuff. So that's really great. And it gives me a chance to, to connect with the community, which is lovely. It's about four and a half thousand people in there now, which is exciting. Wow. Um, and then uh, I have some downloadable courses on my website and a free kind of breath meditation on my website as well, which is nickredmanvoice.com. So there's a jaw release course and a tongue training course for some of the, again, to tackle two of the main things that come up a lot 
which is freedom of the tongue to respond to articulation and um, jaw tension, which again hinders things like volume and resonance and vocal freedom. So you can download those, have a go at those. Um, or uh, I do kind of at different stages in the year do online online courses now, of course, everybody does them, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is great fun. So I'm um, actually literally at the moment got my newest course out there for sale. So if you want to do that, you should come join. It's um, basically, it's called... Uh, you can tell it's a new new program because I can't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Complete Vocal Empowerment Program. And it's basically designed to help you sort of be your own voice coach day to day. So it's everything you need to know about warming up, the whole process, how to look after your voice, how to troubleshoot and know what to do when if you're feeling a bit tired or you're feeling a bit fatigued and you're not sure why. So it's everything you need to prepare, maintain and look after your voice on your own. Um, coaching is of course that means you might not want to come to me in the end which may not be a sensible <laughs> move on my part but I just want everyone to feel sort of empowered to look after their own voices so sure. yeah that's for sale on my website at the moment the complete vocal empowerment course I'm really excited about that so that's a six week course um, that's what I'm selling at the moment and I do one to one as well so I do one to one packages which are uh, either two sessions for a little tweak or a, a touch up as it were, um, uh, six six sessions as a bit of a longer development process. So loads of ways. Yeah, a lot of different ways. That's great. Um, I know that different um, approaches work better for people, not, not because of the, uh, you know, how you learn kind of thing, but because of timing. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that some of the coaching that I've done has not been real time, but I have been able to recommend that to people who have difficult schedules or who don't have the money for the real time uh, one-on-one stuff and they do prepackaged stuff instead. And it works really well. It's a, I, mm. I think that it's a, it's a really good kind of, um, you know, half step to get something useful uh, in a different format that'll, that'll work better. So it's, it's great that you have all the, all the different ways to do it. Yeah. And the thing that's been quite fascinating and revolutionary for me, having to really explore online coaching and online learning as well. You know, I've been here during the last couple of years, not been able to go anywhere, obviously, but I've done courses all over the world for my own mm-hmm. learning, which I wouldn't actually have got to do if we hadn't been locked down. Yeah. And what I've learned about the as both a facilitator and a student on online courses is that there's a really nice freedom, actually, of exploring stuff in your own home especially voice some people don't have the confidence right now to come to a class because maybe their problem feels bigger than them or you know they don't actually know if they belong in that class and the lovely thing about online is you get to do it in your own house you know with a cup of tea you can turn your camera off you can explore it in your own time you can miss the live session and catch up wherever the video is going to be and there is a bit of flexibility so I, I agree I think it's um it's actually a really accessible way to learn Um, So I'm really quite excited that what has happened over the past couple of years has enabled me to kind of develop that area of things because also it means I can reach more people all over the place, which is nice. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's great. Um, Where are most of your your students, most of the people who come to you for coaching? I think I'm probably 50-50 UK-US now. Mm, Um, Some in Europe as well, but mainly UK and US. So your your accent coaching, you deal with a lot of the U.S. dialects, different different My, things around here. I tend now, because of time, mm. to focus on the ones I get asked for most, which is general American 
mm. you know, so-called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RP, there's the pronunciation, right. so-called, yeah. and Irish specialism. <laughs> Uh, so there are people out there who can coach American accents in much more intricate detail than I can. And I have it. some brilliant colleagues who I refer things on to. But that's the nice thing about getting to this stage in a career is that you're not going, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. Right, I'll make it right. work. You're going, thanks for getting in touch. Actually, you should contact this person because they're an expert in that. Yeah, um, yeah. And I find that quite liberating now, which is nice. You're not going, I need to take this client and now I need to learn how to do a Bulgarian accent in four yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally, totally understand. Um yeah. I was going to say something about the the different accents too. Oh, I, I make sure now when like I fill out a questionnaire for a publisher or something and they ask about accents, I'll put down Irish and Mexican Spanish uh, as opposed to Castilian and uh, Russian. And then I make sure to make a note, uh, general, I, I don't have any region specific knowledge to be able to do Dublin versus you know, someplace else in Ireland. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all just general. And so I can do secondary characters just fine because for the most part, I think, uh, people listening don't really, for a secondary character who's got like five lines in a book, they don't really care mm-hmm. that much how accurate it is, whether or not they sound like they're from Dublin. But if you're going to do a main character or like the entire narration, I need to make sure that they know I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be honest like that. Yeah. But I think that's why I have, um, I have another online course I'm going to do again later in the year called the Ultimate Accent Toolkit. And it's about giving people the tools to break down and learn their own accents. And that's been really popular with audiobook narrators because of all these random extraneous characters that come up that have two or three lines. Right. And they don't want to spend hundreds of pounds with a voice coach for like two lines. So right. it gives them the tools to like listen and go, oh, well, I can hear this is different in the tune and this is different in the energy. And if I hear that vowel and it gives them enough things to kind of play with to find whatever it is they need to get through those lines. That's great. Um, so I think that's been one of the courses potentially that's opened me up to audiobook narrators. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like something that would be very useful. I'm, I don't do that much um, fiction, especially stuff with characters from different places, but I have certainly read the posts from people who are like, I've got like 200 characters and they're from all over the world. And ah! So, oh God. yeah, nice to be able to it's have the tools to break set. that down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so um, Nick, give me a give me a couple of words of advice for narrators out there who uh, who hmm. are thinking about how do I get better on the accents or how do I take care of my voice better? Okay, I think accents wise, listen and play. That's all you can do. I think that's the most important thing. Expand your listening sphere. Play around with you know curiosity and love. Not in a hideous mimicry way, of course. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and tune in to what you feel as different. Really tune in to how things feel different to your own sound. So the sooner you can get an idea of how you sound and what your accent feels like in your mouth, the sooner you can sort of contrast that or compare that to the differences you feel when you're playing around with the other sound. Um, so that's really useful. Listening, feeling and playing, I think, that's for great. accents. Uh, when it comes and, to and the technique stuff, yeah, exactly. So much fun. <laughs> um, and then when it comes to technique, I think don't underestimate how tiny little changes can make your life so much easier. Ooh. So you know, sometimes narrators come to me and they're like, "I have to, I record for an hour and I need to take a break because my voice gets tired and blah blah blah." Like 
it doesn't take 45 minutes on the floor humming and breathing and, you know, stretching. I mean, that's lovely. But there are tiny little things you can do that make a huge amount of difference to your ability to get through phrases, to mean the breath is there for you, to stop you tripping over words, which cuts down your editing time, to uh, fix your alignment so that voicing is easier so you don't get as fatigued. Like it really, I think sometimes people think voice training is this big, massive thing, like I said earlier. And actually, there are tiny little tweaks you can make that make your life so much easier. So Mm. Always good to explore. Listen to the Voice Coach podcast. There's loads in there. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to um, go back and uh, listen to your archives there. When did you start that? Actually, it's its birthday like this week. It's one this year. This oh, that's <laughs> when great. this episode goes out. Yeah, so so there's about six sixty episodes. Okay, um, which is why I'm launching the course, the uh, the ultimate voice. Vocal Empowerment Toolkit. No, <laughs> shit, that's not what it's called. <laughs> this is really good. That's all right. It'll be, it'll be easy to Complete find. Complete Vocal Empowerment Program. There, there we go. go. The, the brand new course. <laughs> that's it, the brand new course, which is going to be brilliant, even if I can't remember the title. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, well, Nick, it's been great having you in the speakeasy. I uh, I hope the tea was good. What was it again? A, a, a bog standard, a, a builder's... Bog, s- no, builder's there's a tongue brew? twister. Bog standard builder's brew. Bog yeah. standard builder's brew. Okay. I, I, Yorkshire I hope tea it, all the way. Hope it was good for you. I'm going to tell my wife that because she loves that stuff. And she saw it recently on a... Um, I think it was a a guy who's originally from the UK on the New Zealand baking show or something like that. And he had, he had tea and uh, because that's where he's from and it was Yorkshire and she's all, I love that tea. So yeah, my husband's from Yorkshire, so I don't have uh, a choice. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope it's good. This mimosa was fantastic. I, uh, I highly recommend adding that little drop of Chambord in before, uh, before starting. So, uh, and before I forget, I know that you mentioned it earlier. What's your website again? Uh, nickredmanvoice.com N-I-C- everything's on there n-i-c-r-e-d-m-a-n voice.com okay great i will definitely put that in the show notes thanks for coming in nick thanks for having me cheers cheers well that's it for tonight Many thanks to Nick Redman for stopping in all the way from across the pond. I really enjoyed hearing about her education and experience as a vocal coach and dialect and accent coach, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Many thanks to Tad Davis for leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts recently. Tad, I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and I really appreciate the kind words. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!